more than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk with Canadian model and folk singer Arena Lazaranu. Over the years that I've had the luxury of rubbing shoulders with some of the world's greatest beauties in fashion's trenches, there was a precious handful that I felt I really got to connect with. Accomplished models who were as intriguing as they were beautiful, and whose perspectives on the scene made them compelling conversationalists. Montreal's Irina Lazaranu was always one of my personal favorites. Born in Romania, she'd immigrated to Canada with her parents in 1989, when she was only seven, and her love of artistic expression was nurtured by her family. She took off to London to study dance at the age of 13, but four years later pivoted to modeling and eventually music, hanging out with an ultra-cool crowd, walking runways, and becoming a muse to some of the world's top designers like Karl Lagerfeld, Marc Jacobs, and Nicolas Jasquier. The doe-eyed arena became besties with Kate Moss at one point, and to this day, Sean Lennon remains a very close friend. Now living back in Montreal and mother to a three-year-old boy named River, Arena continues to model and write and play her music. And she's also added author to her credits with a charming new book that celebrates fashion's golden age entitled Runway Bird, a rock and roll style guide. Irina Lazaranu, welcome to this episode of Beyond Style Matters. I am thrilled to see you. It has been way too long. Uh, just to be able to have a conversation with you is an absolute joy. Jeannie, I am so happy that we're doing this. I have missed you so much and I'm just excited to see you. It's been years. It's been too long. Yeah, it's been too long. And what an incredible golden era we got to live through. I mean, I think about that all the time. Not that there isn't great creative stuff happening in the fashion world today. Of course, the, the, the art will always go on. However, we did get to experience that world at a very special time. And Well, what, what I think that one of the most fascinating aspects about the 2000s was that it was the last era before the arrival of the iPhone and social media, there was quite a um, artistic collective and exchange of ideas in the artistic community. Uh, there was no distractions. There, there's no Netflix or Twitter or Instagram. So when artists came together, they actually created. You know, they wrote songs and poems and um and played music so that was for me uh something that kind of went away a little bit after that time you always approached the scene as a true artist because you are a true artist and you are a, a true heart and there's always um that level of authenticity um when it comes to you you know when I think of you you're authentic you're the real deal and you are an artist not all the models on the scene and certainly not all the designers on the scene consider themselves artists but when you approached your work as a model I always did think of you as one of the few who were true performance 
art oriented. I can't, you know, I can't believe you said the word authenticity because um, this is the 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 one thing that comes through my book. You know, I, I wrote a book about that time, and one of the most important things that I've learned for my mentor and our friend Carl Augerfeld was that style was a powerful tool of self-expression. And it was about authenticity and attitude and not about following trends. So there was, I think, when I started modeling, there was, there was no room for me. Nobody knew what to do with me. Everybody looked different, acted different, dressed different. So I had to forge my own path and say, well, I'm going to, I can't be like everybody else uh, because they're already taken, you know, <laughs> they're doing their thing. So I'm going to be quintessentially myself and be authentic and try to make my own path. And that's what I did in, in everything that I did in the way that I dressed and the way that I talked in the decisions uh, that I made through my career. Yeah, it was a bit of a bit, bit of a rebel, I think. Let's go back to the very early beginnings of Arena and, and you know how that started. Uh, you were an immigrant. You came from Romania to Canada when you were only like five years old. Yeah. I don't know, you know, how much of, of your life in Europe you uh, remember, um, but or what it was like to be, you know, a new kid in town, in a new country and with a new language. So it's quite interesting to me that I, I've never really talked about that aspect of my life during my career. Um, you know, you interviewed me, you know, probably a hundred times over the years. And, um, but that side of my childhood and being a refugee, being in a refugee camp when I was a kid is something that I think took me a very long time to process and understand. Um, it was not something that it was easy to me, you know, like to talk about. So um, there is a couple like of like defining moments that where I, I decided that um, this is going to be a story that I'm going to tell now. One was becoming a mom. And the other one uh, happened recently. I uh, set to go back to Paris after many, many years of being away from the industry um, and started promoting my book in Paris on February 24th. And I landed at 7 a.m. And when I landed and I switched my phone on, um, my agent was picking me up from the airport and he was in tears and he said, uh, Russia just invaded Ukraine. So, you know, I was turned on my phone and I saw all of these images of, of bombs and people running for their lives and refugees starting to flee their country. And it brought back so many memories of what it was. And also in a very different way, because we didn't flee a war. My parents fleed a dictature. Um, but that feeling of, you know, there's, there's nothing to go back to and you don't know where you're going, that feeling of insecurity and displacement and fear. And I decided at that moment, I was like, if there's ever a time for me to share my story and, and talk about what I went through when I was a kid, it's now. And I decided to, to start talking about it. The time, the, the days that we spent in the camp were hard and uh, very, uh, a very dark time. 
I was exposed to a lot of uh, horrible things that a lot of kids are exposed to. So by the time we actually arrived in Canada and settled down, you know, uh, with my parents, I think there was a great sense of relief. And we just felt so grateful that we had a second chance. Ultimately, no matter what the reasons for somebody leaving their country, for any refugee, all they want is a second chance to live their lives um, peacefully and fully. And I remember we arrived in Canada in December. It was very cold and I've never seen so much snow in my life. And of course, it was a culture shock. You know, I had to learn two languages. Um, I spoke Romanian and I spoke German because I learned it in Austria. And um, yeah, we everything was exciting and new and a, a challenge. Uh, learning, um, you know, the, the languages, learning kind of like the getting the sense of the land, you know, <laughs> and there's a lot of things like the way people dress, what they eat, uh, the jokes they make, the music they listen to. And that's another amazing uh, aspect that, you know, we had, we had no access to, uh, you know, certain music or books or literature in Romania because it was a totalitarian dictature. So everything was controlled by the government, what came in and out, and we were completely cut off from the world. So I think that one of the most amazing things I remember as a child is just diving in to, you know, music and literature and movies like that we had no access to. So it was a really wonderful time and a time where I think it really kind of shaped um, mm -hmm. my artistic uh, inspiration. You took off at one point to uh, go to the UK to study ballet. Mm -hmm. uh, you, as a teenager, I guess, right. at, to, at that point. What happened with those dance pursuits? Why didn't you uh, continue? I've always uh, loved ballet. I did it since I was a, a, a kid. I actually started in Romanian and computer in Canada, and uh, I was pretty good at it, and I, I, I loved it. And then I unfortunately broke my knee. So my grandiose dreams of becoming a ballerina suddenly went out the window and I had to find something else. And uh, writing literature became my, that, that new passion of mine. And music. So I always say that, you know, music is a, is, a, is a hobby of mine. I wouldn't consider myself a musician, but I was fortunate enough to work with some of the best musicians uh, of my generation. And I learned so much from them. Um, I guess when I got to London and I met like all of these misfits and amazing kind of like iconic characters that define that time and the indie, uh, you know, 2000 generation of music, like, you know, Peter Doherty and Amy Winehouse and um, all those kids. Um, what the most important thing that they taught me is how, when you take a poem, how to uh, transform it into a song and how similar it was to write rhythmically uh, and transform poetry into song lyrics. So that came, that came at that time. I think that came in my late teens, early twenties, uh, where uh, I was exposed to so many different artistic uh, styles. And I was just a sponge you know, for, uh, for information and wanting to learn as much as I can from all these amazing people. And here you were this Canadian kid by that point, mm -hmm. like transplanted now, you know, back in Europe, but certainly, you know, in 
in London, you know, like the hotbed of creativity, you know, and as you say, being exposed to all these people, but, you know, you still maintained your Canadian identity. I mean, I guess it's maybe your relationship with your parents. You were still true to that. A hundred percent. Canada's home. Um, You know, and I'm a very proud Canadian. Um, I always miss home when I'm away. And I think that an aspect for being gone, like I left so early and for years I I was away and I was always working, always on an, in an airplane. And over the last couple of years, since I moved back home, my favorite thing about, you know, uh, being a mom and raising my, my, my baby boy here is rediscovering also this country that I love so much, which I consider home. And yeah. So your foray into modeling, I guess, you know, when, once you realized you couldn't be on the stage as a dancer, did that, you know, sort of help push you onto the runway? How did that happen? Well, Carl pushed me onto the runway, literally. Like that was, um, I, I talk again, I talk about it uh, in, in the book that the, the moment that I met Carl Lagerfeld was really a defining moment in my life because there was a before and after. And I guess I was, uh, you know, going to school in France by then. I moved to Paris and I was trying this modeling thing to make some extra money and I was going to castings and everybody said, well, she's unusual looking or she's not exactly what we're looking for. And it was just no like rejection after rejection after every day I would have 10 castings a day and run around Paris and I, I, I can book a job. If you remember that time, I'm talking about 2002, 2003, it was very much the Brazilian era. You know, it was Giselle and like all of the beautiful Amazons with light, like for days and blondes and tall and um, curvy. And that's not what I was. <laughs> I remember the day I got the call that I had a Chanel casting. My darling agent, Sam Archer, uh, that worked at Marlene, that is unfortunately not with us any longer. She said, well, I have a casting for you to, uh, for Chanel, for a Chanel show. And I was like, okay. And there's a part of me that didn't want to go because I was convinced that it's going to be another no. So I really, I was at home and I was like, am I going to, you know, why am I going to go to this? Like, but I did. Um, and I wore like a little gypsy skirt and Tibetan boots and like a Romanian shirt that my Nana had and uh, with my long hair. And I walked it into the casting and there was like 300 girls you know, beautiful girls, uh, all in like skinny jeans and high heels and tank tops, and perfect skin, <laughs> all smelling really nice. And I guess I walked in there, my, you know, and I sat down on the, so I got my diary out and I started writing a poem or something in it. And at that moment, uh, Carl and Virginie and the, the team just walked by, uh, by the girls so they can get into the, the office and start the casting. And as he walked by, he stopped and he looked at me because I remember I looked up and I saw him. He looked at me. He didn't say a word and he kept walking. And about two minutes later, Catherine, that was the casting director at Chanel, came over and she said, Irina, we're going to try something on you because Carl wants to see you. <laughs> what? They, you know, I, I followed Catherine and I met Virginie for the first time and I was in the fitting room and they tried this beautiful dress on me that Carl wanted to see on me, but it was too long, too long because I was shorter than the other girls. So they walked me out and I see Carl and usually, you know, everybody's like, just be very calm, listen to what you're told and be discreet, and, which are not 
my best qualities to be calm, not talk a lot and be discreet. So I just came out and started like asking questions and talking to him. And obviously it was in French. So I had a really strong French Canadian accent, which really made him laugh. And then the, one of the seamstresses said, well, you know, the, the dress is too long. So, and he turned around and he said, well, cut the dress then. And that was it. There was, um, I was booked for the show and I did, I think it was in 2003. It was my first couture show with them and then continuing the relationship for uh, almost seven years. Wow. Uh, wow. What was the most important thing that you learned uh, from Carl? Well, like I said, it's, it's um, styles about authenticity and, and attitude. And he also taught me to not want to chase perfection in, in your craft, but rather chase truth. So it doesn't matter if something is uh, aesthetically pleasing. It's more important that it's real. Wow. Yeah. He is uh, what a master and what, what a, a loving uh, person he was. I mean, to so many of us really, I mean, he, yeah. I think a lot of us thought of Carl as a, a mentor and uh, yeah. how fortunate we were. He loved you so much. There is not a journalist on the planet that had access to the Chanel backstages and dinners and fittings uh, as you did. He just loved you. And uh, you guys had an amazing relationship. And I, I just feel so grateful for having, you know, been a, a part of that era and that time um, and seeing you always backstage. It was like, you know, seeing like an auntie or, you know, like uh, my fairy godmother, because you're a Canadian and you were always nice. And you, you were, I think at one point when I was doing a ridiculous numbers of shows and you could see how tired I got through the weeks and the months during fashion week, like you, sometimes you'd be like, are you okay? Are you sleep? Like a very kind of mom, uh, only a mom would say, are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you <laughs> looking after yourself? And it was always so sweet. Every great conversation needs a pause. So this is a perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who, without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe that great fashion should be accessible to everyone. And TSC.ca is home to some wonderful Canadian brands and designers like Kim Newport Mimran, Brian Bailey, Kayla Kay, Ron White, and Hilary McMillan. And of course, TSE offers so much more than mere fashion. Discover quality Canadian jewellery and accessories from Pico, Brass and Unity, and I. You can find more Canadian designers and brands in the CAFA store at tse.ca slash CAFA. And let's all shop better together. Arita, we had uh, we had a, a lot of great uh, you know times together. One one time that I will always remember um, so incredibly uh, lovingly is round about uh, I think it was two thousand and ten. Um, my daughter, my youngest daughter Joey, it was her twenty first birthday, and I brought her to Paris. And you um, were hanging out with Sean Lennon, very good friend of yours, a lovely Sean, and you 
invited me and Joey, because she, you know, she was hanging out with me that day. I think we were, you know, like at a Stella McCartney show or something somewhere. You said there's a, a there's going to be a special kind of a performance at some little club. I don't know where it was, somewhere in, in the, the Mariah or something. Yes. Yeah. And it was somewhere out of the way, but you should come because, you know, people are going to get up and they're going to be jamming. And I think I'm going to be singing and Sean's going to be playing. And would you, you know, you would you like to come to that and you could come and watch us hang out, you know, and perform and jam upstairs in some private little room before we even go downstairs to the club. Like, would you like to come to that? And it was like, what I, and it was Joey's 21st birthday. I mean, she met Paul McCartney backstage at Stella's show that morning, but the fact that she got to hang out with you and Sean and Sean was singing Twist and Shout. I remember it was such a moment. It was really such a moment. I think you're talking about La Fidelité gig. And that was super fun. We used to do that quite a lot in, in our little band called Operation Juliet because it was all about improv gigs and, and a collaboration of different artists just jamming together. There was really no rehearsal or um, sound check or, you know, we played in a lot of restaurants and little bars and dive bars. They were some of my favorite memories of that time. Um, there is something about when you just go on stage and it's very candid. Sometimes I think that as an artist, there's two things you have to watch over and it's ego and complacency because they can tend to get in the way. When you uh, tour a lot or sing a lot and you do exactly the same set night after night, you have a tendency sometimes to become complacent because, you know, it's just something that you mechanically do. But when you go and you, you know, you, you play on, on stage and it's improvised, it keeps you on your toes. It, it keeps that element of magic, uh, of surprises that sometimes happen. And it's unpolished and not perfect, yeah. but it's, it's real. And that's what punk was about, right? And that's what authenticity is all about. You know, that spontaneity. You know, you're, you don't have time to judge yourself and, and be careful about, you know, what you may or may not be coming out with. You just go with the moment yeah I'm so happy you you uh you got to share that moment with us and that your daughter was there so that's that's so cool I can only imagine how proud your parents must have been when they saw you on the world stage like that you know I mean they uh they were I think and they they are they're they're the best but I think also very overwhelmed by like what was happening around me and like how fast things were moving and how much I was working, you know, at that time, it was a very different rhythm, as, as you know, as the girls today. So they were proud, maybe a little bit nervous <laughs> as any. Yeah, I would be too. Listen, those were dangerous times, too. And we know so many of, you know, and you were really hanging out with that crowd. You were running oh, yeah. with the Wild Pack, I, and you were very close to Kate Moss and and Pete Doherty, as you said, and people whose yeah. names were getting in the news sometimes for you know reasons that were a little hmm, questionable. I, as I say in in my book Runway Bird, I met uh, Miss Lindsay Lohan, still one of my closest friends, um, through uh, Kate Moss, and uh, and then I ended up living with Lindsay for a period in New York. And then when I was in London, I would spend a lot of time with Kate and then I got a place with Peter and then Amy Winehouse would come there all the time. So, yes, not exactly, you know, all punk rebels in their own rights. So 
Yes. But you remained safe. I mean, you must have had the guardian angels looking over you. Yes, or, and you know. I'm pretty sure they're very tired. <laughs> where they, were, <laughs> they were. I, you know, I was in my 20s and I had this really kind of joie de vivre and nonchalant, nonchalant kind of approach to things, uh, not really understanding what was happening. And at one point you were the, the, the face of the Topshop uh, collection that Kate Moss mm-hmm. did. You know, that was that was so buzzworthy. I mean, huge. Right. Like you were starring in these campaigns that were incredibly it was iconic. Collection for uh, for Topshop, and it was just brilliant. I mean, I mean, Kate's just such a natural stylist. She operates through intuition, and she could make anything work. But she also knows what works at exactly the right time. And like I've seen her uh, predict trends. Like sometimes she'll be, you know, we'd be, you know, walking around somewhere, and she'd be like, "Yeah, I'm sure that you know, tweed or leather pants are going to make a comeback." And sure enough, three months later, they they would. So she just had that ability to predict something, and therefore wearing it before anybody else. So. Just a great taste level. And, uh, you know, that's yeah. really a, a great compliment to you because, you know, she had the great good taste to uh, cast you in that important role. But, you know, back then we used to spend so much time together. And again, I mentioned this in the book. There's a whole chapter on my relationship with her and uh, and how she, you know, was my friend and my mentor and uh, really encouraged me and gave me very important advice about the industry and also taught me a lot about style like how to put an outfit on and one of the things that I love the most that I learned from her is is really not to be afraid to deconstruct something or to take something that is very chic like a gown a couture gown and and break it down, like wear it with docks or wear it with uh, sneakers, that kind of contrasts um, that is uh, that I still use in, in, in my style today. Uh, so, yeah, something a, a bit punk and rock and roll and something a bit more classic or romantic and mix them together. There's no question that you learned a lot about fashion and style from your years, you know, in that, in those trenches on that scene, you know, as we all did. But I think you, like me, also saw the fashion world as kind of a microcosm for Mm. something greater. And it taught us, I'll say that because I feel we're kindred spirits in that way, a lot about life and a lot about people and so many important lessons that have carried through, what would you say some of the, the key things that fashion, it, it, that scene perhaps even in general, taught you about, about people, about the ways of the world? You know, I think some people taught me how to dress and some people taught me about life and some people taught me how to love. So it's, it's you know, very... I think different people uh, influence and inspire me in very different ways. Um, I've also learned a lot about being resilient and not giving up because you kind of have to when you, if you're, if you stick around for a while, you'll have, um, you know, great uh, moments of of great joy and successes, but you also have 
a lot of failures and letdown. And what I've learned um, after 20 years in the industry is that, you know, everybody falls down, everybody makes mistakes, um, but it's the capacity to get back up and try again and not be afraid to try again because you failed at something that really makes the difference of being somebody that, uh, you know, sticks around and, and other people that give up. And I learned that. I learned, you know, to, to be re- resilient. Talking uh, about your son, and I'm sure having a child changed you in oh. untold ways. Yeah. Uh, four years ago, you had this gorgeous baby river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen pictures of him online. It's like, oh, he's gorgeous. He how is did, so cute. How did he change you? Oh my God, in, in every single way. Um, you know, I feel like kids give purpose to your life in a way that you never really kind of thought possible. Um, he made me stronger and uh, he made me be more aware of the decisions that I make and the way that I spend my time and the important how to pick the people in my life. I wasn't really good at that. I was, you know, always like a social kind of butterfly and running around the world and always on the plane and playing a gig there. Or um, So that kind of really changed. I just love discovering the world through his eyes. And I, I it's, it's hands down the best thing that I've ever did, becoming the mo- a mom and the hardest thing that I've ever did. You've got a big birthday coming up. Well, uh, I just had my 70th last month. So Jeannie, you're going to have to share your secrets <laughs> with me. It's you, you haven't changed. I've known you for 20 years. You look exactly the same, mm. as beautiful and radiant as ever. And yes, I'm turning 40 and I am excited about it. Um, I feel so much more happier and so much more at peace now than I did in my 20s. I think that I'm very fortunate to have all of these experience and this amazing career to look back at and all of these things that I accomplished. But I was always in such a hurry, like always going fast, 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 fast and and never really stopping or taking it all in. And I that changed. Like I live every day at its fullest and I just enjoy growing older with all of the wisdom that comes with it uh, and the wrinkles and, and the gray hairs and all of that. But that's, that's I, I've never really cared about that. That's, that's cool. I promise you, darling, the best is yet to come. I mean, like my, the last decade, the, my 60s were like the best, you know, I found true love you know, I found my like soulmate, like when I was 63, I mean, that, you know, so you just never know what's going to happen, you know, just keep your eye on the prize and, and keep yourself true to yourself, which you do. You've always done. Thank you. Jean. How's your life day to day? I mean, what do you, I mean, you've written this book, obviously you're, you know, out promoting it now and uh, you, do you have, you know, wishes, dreams uh, in the work area that you'd like to accomplish? Well, my, my day-to-day is really kind of focused around, you know, my boy. So, you know, it's dropping him at daycare. And then, you know, as you know, when your kids are small, your life isn't really your life because it's like you're doing carpool and soccer and art class and 
all that kind of stuff. But I love that side of it. I never really got to have a routine, you know, in my adult life because I was always like all over the place and in an airplane. So having like having a routine and and being able to kind of like really take the time to to stay in one place and build relationships with people, learning how to cook, which I didn't know how to do before. And uh, I'm still a work in progress, I think. Uh, But all of that stuff I got to do over the last couple of years by staying put, writing this book and taking care of River. So that's my number one priority, being a mom. And through this process of uh, of writing my first book, I really... um, learned how much I love to write and I really hope that I'll get to do more of it well I just wish you success in everything that you uh put your mind to because I I just think you're an incredible person and you have so much uh so much to share and so many great stories to tell and you just radiate such light Arita you always have thank (laughs) you so much for being on this episode of Beyond Style Matters it's been a thank you Jeannie Thanks for listening. New episodes of the podcast will be coming at you every other Monday. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or online at the tsc.ca website. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.